Gaming NBS episode 254 being recorded Sunday, August 24th. 4th. 24th. 24th. August 4th, 2019. Yeah, you're like 20, 20 days off, dude. Welcome to Gaming NBS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Intros are hard. I'm getting Sean a calendar for Christmas this coming year, so it'll be pretty cool. Something he can <laughs> hang right up by his uh, by his monitor. He can check off every day. It'll be awesome. <laughs> I want a I want a calendar of D and D publishers calendar, like a pinup calendar. The publisher, not publishers of D and D, RPG publishers. RPG publishers, like calendar the of Archie, RPG publishers or authors. Okay. Yeah. Kind of boring. I want them laid out. I want them laying out or doing like sexy poses, fully dressed with their, with their products. Yeah. (laughs) The problem is you get a guy like Rob Schwab and be like, really? You want that? Hang on a second. Have you met Rob and talked to Rob? Good Lord, man. I think I could pull this off. (laughs) I'm an idea guy, ladies and gentlemen. Not not all ideas are good, nor are they created equal. So, because of the card game, the mind, I know that if I created that calendar, somebody would buy it. Somebody's going to buy it. That's true. It's very true. Sad Just saying. but true. Just saying. So, how was your weekend, man? Uh, it was low key. I did put out a video for my mass of Narolothotep, cool. um, which is long overdue. Um, I go into the PC. The PCs on who they are. And then because it was like originally 16, 17 minutes, I, I'm like, I don't want to watch. Like people don't want to watch 17 minute videos. I don't think on YouTube, especially something really quick or even Patreon. So I I halved it. I cut it in half. Okay. The second half will be how like first session actually went. Got it. Uh, second session, I have to record, um, which was relatively uneventful, honestly. Um, we'll see. Tuesday I play that and run that game. But otherwise this weekend I didn't do any other RPG BS related stuff. Uh, you Brad, I wrapped up my outlands of Avalon game. You wrapped it up. Yeah. So the last time I think we talked about it, you were talking about like somebody, you know, might be two people lived two people out of how many seven PCs, two out of seven. Yeah. And And they were, Hey, was, wow. hey, was, hey, <laughs> hey, that's pretty good, man. It was, uh, thank you, thank you. It was Pathfinder, so sons of bitches are hard to kill. But Alpha's um, assassin sniper guy, Elf, he made it because he stayed way the hell away from the Orcus miniature that was on the table, or Orcus big goddamn blob. Um, yeah, it got, it, <laughs> it was galactically, wow, a lot of death. We jacked up levels. Wow, we haven't played high level before. This will be fun. And I'm like, you know, the evil fiend re- raises his hand, points at you. Die. What does that mean? That's power word kill. How many hit points you got? Oh, fuck. Oop. <laughs> Down. <laughs> you. Blind. Okay. I'm blind. Son of a bitch. <laughs> it was so much fun. <laughs> they got their asses beat. But they came out in the end, shut the portal. We were able to take down the incarnation, so it was good. Well, that's all that matters. Yeah, it was it was a good wrap up. I'm putting uh, 
That aside for a while, I'm going to do something a little bit different with them. I'm not quite sure what yet, but I've got, we a, month, did, uh, I've got a month to figure that out. With that, we did not go to Gen Con. Gen Con is wrapping up as we speak. Well, that's right. That is over today, isn't it? It is over today, yeah. So if everybody went to Gen Con, it sounds like it went smoothly. I didn't hear any stories of somebody putting rape in their game or anything, which is good. Or I saw any- a couple. I saw a couple people were, were annoyed at the um, this was not written by Zach Smith co- covers on some of the Lamentations books. Oh, really? Yeah. They had that sticker on books? Oh, it was like a big full cover, like the cover of the book. Zach Smith did not write this type of thing or something or other. I, I like an actual product in- you can buy? Yeah, I don't know if that, I don't know the full details on it. I saw the tweet was shared by someone and then I want, I'm like, oh, I'm, I glanced through it and I'm like, oh, I should go back and check that. And then I forgot who the hell posted, couldn't find it. But oh, that was the only thing I saw where somebody was pissed annoyed at something. I see. Other than that, I haven't heard anything yet. Something's well, coming. Well, Something's going to be. Somebody, somebody had a shitty time. No. Sure went fine for everybody. Of course. All 60,000 people had a wonderful time. Yes. No one was annoyed ever. It's Gen Con. <laughs> All right. Well, well, speaking of cons, GameholeCon, GameholeCon.com. Yeah. Get out there, do your thing. If you haven't bought a badge, do that. If you're going to make it there, that'll be great to see you there. Hopefully, if you've got games that you want to run, if you'd like to run them under the Gaming BS banner, we're still uh, very open to that. We'd be happy to help you promote your game as well. So if you've got a game like, hey, I'm going to be running this thing. It's not D&D. It's not X, Y, or Z. I'm, I want to run Fiasco. I want to run The Mind or something crazy. And you want to do it. And you'd like us to uh, tell folks, hey, what's going down and whatnot. Because if you're one of our... Um, one of our BSers, that means you're good people and you're a good gamer, so other people will enjoy playing with you. I will guarantee it. So, yeah, let us know if you got something cooking. From an Avalon Kickstarter perspective, um, the prints that came in for the for the last bit of uh, hardcover, or hard and softcover, I should say, the um, print-on-demand stuff looks awesome. So, from the looks of things, we've got the what's-in-the-box levels go out pretty soon. Um... Yeah, the print-on-demand coupons are going out. I did. Um, I got my personal order in for the number of hardcovers I want. So hopefully, very soon, I will have Susan do an unboxing video of me with my book. That would be fun. Yeah. But otherwise, that's uh, that's about it. There, going pretty well. Well, that's excellent. Uh, let's see. I think that is about it. Oh, evercon.org. I should mention that too. Our website is live. We have, we're a ways out, so it's in January. What we found is that if we go too hard, too crazy with, like, ad campaign and so forth this time of year, a lot of our con attendees like, what? January? Ah, fuck off. I'll, I'll talk to you in October. So we'll ramp up the activities there. But if you want to get your discounted badges, if you want to enter your games and so forth, now is the time to do that. You can start doing that right now. You can get in on the discounted badges, which will help save you a few shekels at the door. So... That's out there, evercon.org. Check it out. Anything else, Sean? We good? No, I think we're good. It's All right, good. let's random encounter. All right. Alrighty, random encounter. Got quite a few to get through this week. You want me to start? You, you can start. start? You can start. Old school DM, Randy, the f- House of Farmer, writes in. I think... 
Maybe it's maybe his first time. No, he's written in before. Has he? Oh, that's been a, oh, it's yeah. been a while. But we did. We were we were woefully wrong before. And Randy and few oh. people pointed it out. Yes, because we got we had BS called on us, and uh, Randy not a man to not a man to let BS slide. Well, he, we kind of poked him on the terrain one. We did. Well, for God's sakes, you're talking terrain in the old school gym with papercraft. Come on, I would, I would only hope that he would write it. Of course, I only did the episode here from Randy. <laughs> All right, old school DM himself emails us about fatal. I mean, <laughs> I mean terrain and RPGs. Uh, thank God. And he probably just grabbed his pants. Um, <laughs> hey, guys, Old School DM here, writing in about episode 253, Terrain and Role-Playing Games. You knew I wouldn't be able to resist writing, right? Pretty much, Randy. <laughs> Great episode. Hardly any errors. Smirk face. Actually, no errors, just augmenting. First and foremost, thanks for plug for the plug for my papercraft terrain site, OldSchoolDM.com. Ha, Got you to do it again, but really, thanks. <laughs> I don't have to put that in the die roll. Um, a few quick thoughts about the cost benefits of terrain, specifically paper terrain. So if anybody knows this, it's Randy. One, paper terrain is very, very cheap in terms of dollars compared to any of 3D printed, molded, or pre-made, like Dwarven Forge. Many of the models are free or very inexpensive. Looks great and no painting. Oh, that's that's a huge deal. It is. It's very time consuming. Yeah, it can be incredibly time consuming. Yeah. I built my first paper terrain encounter two free buildings from the interwebs, and I was hooked. I would be interested, Randy, when that was. Like how long ago it was? Yeah, when was did like, you get into it? Yeah, when did you start? Uh, two, the real cost of paper terrain is in terms of time. It takes time to print cut and glue it together and even more if you wanted uh want it to do the extra work to make it look nice by hand inking the cut edges yeah i've seen that like i've cut i've done like one what's goofy that if you don't do it it glares it's It's like the white stripes you're like oh it's obviously paper for whatever reason yeah you you make them brown or black or change that cut corner and it it looks awesome. Yeah, it's, it looks the, it's like a simple set dressing thing you can do, and I, it makes papercraft much better. It really does. Yeah. Unlike the three, unlike rigid 3D terrain, many of the structures, such as buildings, can be built to be uh, fold flat. My recent Tarask destroys a town encounter was all fold flat pieces. This stores in a fraction of the space. In my case, the whole town fit into a dozen cigar boxes, which I transported in a wheelie cart. Paper terrain also can be intentionally mangled, stomped, crumbled, and burned at the table. Just print some more. Nothing surprises the group more than your giant mini literally smashes down on a paper table, smashing it flat. Oh, yeah. That's that's a good point. That's drama there. Because you can replace it. If you printed it at once, hey, guess what you could do? You could print it 2, 3, 4, 10, 20 times if you had to. But that is DM, like... Drama at the table, like nobody's going to. No one would normally hear. mangle your set pieces. Yeah, when right. the game master goes, "Oh yeah, this thing crush." Talk about a record scratch! Yeah. Oh my god, he just crumbled like his entire castle. Wow. Here's a tip for speeding up real time terrain placement during play. Let the players do it. Hey, good call. I like it. For example, when using Dwarven Forge for a dungeon crawl, I make photos of the built-out rooms and then hand out those images and the pieces for them to assemble as needed. They build it out in seconds and have a deeper understanding of what it is they're 
there because they built it out. Another example was the Trask game I mentioned. I placed a few key buildings, mostly the Japanese temple I wanted to destroy first, and then had the few folks that were early pop up that were early pop up many of the smaller buildings and the market square props and let them place them wherever they liked, instantly learning about the town. In short, laying out terrain is part of the game and takes the place of reams of box text and gives them a head start in thinking about how they will use the terrain going forward. Paper terrain is a paper terrain, a classic trade-off. If you have time and want a great looking terrain without painting or paying a fortune, give it a try. And if you go nuts like me, it'll be worth it to invest in a robo cutter machine to cut out the models fast and easy and a continuous ink printer. So you can buy ink in bulk and dirt cheap, but these are optional. Thanks again. Old school DM, AKA Randy farmer. Nice. Thank you, Randy. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks for chiming in because you know the deal. You know, I'll tell you, man, that whole concept of having the players do it, never thought about it, but why not? Like, hey, put these hills out there. Lay a stream down. Right. If it's a town, here's some stuff. Make a marketplace for me. I got I to gotta look something up. Idle hands are the players, um, <laughs> are the devil for players. So if, let's give them something to do. I like that. They engage with the game. They know what's there. And that's pretty slick. I yeah. like that idea. That's a very good idea. Cool stuff. Thank you, Randy. Always good. All right, who's up next here? John Watts on terrain. Sean and Brett, longtime listener and admirer. I felt compelled to provide some feedback in the latest episode because I'm a little disappointed in your research, the topic of terrain in role-playing games. Uh Uh-oh. I feel abashed already. Hold on, let me explain. Train crafting for me is well in many ways I enjoy this wonderful hobby. Train crafting has its own special niche in the tabletop RPG community. As a matter of fact, I'm a member of an awesome community called the Tabletop Crafters Guild on Facebook. Also, there are many talented train crafters on YouTube. I highly recommend the DM's Craft with DM Scotty, link in the notes, and the Black Magic Craft, another link in the notes. Guys, I guess I'm disappointed because I love this part of the hobby. I thought you would shine some of the spotlight on some of the train crafters that make the hobby a better place. If any of the listeners are interested in train crafting, please check out the Facebook page and YouTubers I mentioned. You guys keep up the good work. Sincerely, the Big DM. I'll tell you, John, you damn good stuff there. Thank you. I knew that was out there. I didn't even think about it. We were th- talking about other components, and it got left on the cutting room floor. So if anybody else out there has YouTubers or communities or links, you know, we had the old, the old school DM stuff out there. But if there's other good stuff that you guys know about, let us know. We'll throw them in the, we'll throw them in the old die roll and uh, share that out with people. So thank you. Very good point. Over to you, Sean. Yeah, thanks, John. Laramie of House Wall on terrain and RPGs. Hey, Brett and Sean, regarding vehicles and mounts. Ha! Huh, I must have got that wrong. Or does he go into trains later? I don't know. Regardless, we'll find out. I'll have to change it. Uh, while I do think the bought and forgot method is dominate, uh, dominant, they can be fun to catch people up on. One note I would like to add that I don't think you really touched on here, though you have in the past, is the chase. That difference in gear can make all the difference in a chase. Maybe the party sends someone ahead with the MacGuffin with the fast horse while they stay back to delay the pursuer. Or maybe the car they spent all their time and money on just completely ends a chase before it starts as their opponent has no chance to catch up, validating all those souped up parts. Regarding the feedback of some combat systems being swingy, 
As with most things in gaming, I think this is very much up to individual preference. I run Hackmaster, which has potentially brutal crits and exploding damage dice. And the best I can tell, everyone is enjoying that. We all know everyone cheers when a player strikes a natural 20, but now there's the added bonus of rolling a d8 and getting an 8. Then an 8. Then another. And while this can, as stated, work against the players, I think it's just a factor the GM has to remember when looking, looking forward, that there's a chance the players might get smeared and need an escape or reprieve. We recently started playing through the Barrow Maze, and Session 1, uh, one fighter got separated by a trap, uh, putting a porcullus between her, as well as the thief, and the party. First monster crit, and the party was in panic mode trying to get the damn thing open. They were making headway, and just as they got through, attacks 3 and 4 also came natural 20, and the fighter went down just as reinforcements rushed in. Yup, it was a very unexpected turn to have three of four attacks crit, but at the end, I'm glad I roll my dice in the open. They won that fight fair and square, no GM fudging, and got to walk out, heads held high all the way to town. Also, those swingy rolls, Brett brought up morale checks. I think having a PC having a massive hit is a great time for a monster's buddies to reevaluate re their life choices. Usually in my games, it's when the advantage of numbers shift, say 11 monsters down to 6 or 7. But if that first swing lobs off ahead, I think the fight just might be over. Forums. I love forums. I think they're awesome. I'm in a few, but I think the big thing here, in my opinion, is that traffic begets traffic. If someone checks the forum three times and there's no new posts, they will be less inclined to keep checking. That said, I am one of those people that would rather not be in Facebook any more than necessary and really miss G+. They might be the evil empire, but I did love their social platform. You do it, I'm in. I look forward to your future time travels, Laramie. Good stuff, Laramie. I like that. And I think, I like the, I'm glad you brought up the morale checks because it's something I've been noodling on for a while. And uh, I, like, I like the way you go about that. Advantage in numbers shift, you know. And it's a good point. I mean, swingy systems, you know, some people love it. Some people can't stand it. And, uh, yeah, it's it's amazing what how the dice can swing one way and something that should be a challenge becomes a cakewalk and vice versa. <laughs> it's interesting. And good stuff. We've had a couple forum feedback pieces in different social media platforms. So once we kind of get the full scope of what people think, we'll make a call. Yeah, I'll comment on that later. Okay, cool. Yeah. So thanks for writing in, Laramie. Good mm -hmm. stuff. Appreciate it. So who's up next here? Matt of House V on terrain at the gym. 95% of the time I'm listening at the gym. So now you know. Well, that's good. That's good, Matt. I can't remember how that gets spurred, but I, <laughs> I don't remember. Where are you listening? Where are you? What's yeah, going on? I think we were asking him where he's listening. I have I tried know. to listen to podcasts at the gym, and I can't. When I'm, when I'm on the treadmill, I'm lifting, I'm doing something, I just I can't do it. It's got to be like death metal or something oh that, my that god treadmill well i understand the different thing you ha can listen to yeah but just running on a treadmill with nothing is gotta be the worst form of torture no i can't do that uh, next to waterboarding next to that yes yeah. next to it and close second and watching your... someone write in your books oh yeah that's bad too true 
Anyway, uh, I never prepared. I was ready to say this has never happened to me in as an adult where a game was sprung on me, but apparently I forgot about it when I was in FPS or PFS regularly. It wasn't uncommon after Pathfinder a, Society. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Regularly. It wasn't uncommon after the scheduled games were done for everyone to want another game. Nine out of the ten times this would fall to me as I was the most experienced team at the table and most everyone else was too scared to run blind. This took care of characters and they were pre-gens if someone didn't have a character that uh, in the proper range. Oh, good Lord, can't read. Uh, bring the group together in the mission. So it wasn't that hard, but sometimes you find something falls onto the party you wouldn't have you would have foreshadowed had you had read had you even had a chance to read the scenario of running without preparation no material i think you should forego character creation or use a, a system that's very light in my opinion powered by the apocalypse system is one of the best to run blind even though it's not one of my favorite systems personally in fact many games recommend very little prep the resolution system is insanely simple you give characters a couple attributes and negative two zero plus two plus three a couple moves and you get going the system is well built for running without prep i could honestly run it without a core system it's so simple and you can actually create the rules on the fly give strength speed mental charisma attributes and just let them use them um, when they want to when they want to move give them a nine to six health and hits do one damage it, it'd run fine and it's meant to be more narrative than crunch anyway also, anything with some kind of society play has several missions, pre-gens, and pretty easy to run. And meant to be slotted in about three to four hours. These are all good options. Many Savage World systems have pre-gens and one-pages, most are for free, which only take an hour or two to run. Fate would be pretty easy, but that's weird to play without Session Zero. Shadowrun has numerous missions and tons of pre-gens. On vehicles and mounts, Pathfinder does an okay job in mounted combat. They created the Cavalier class and rewrote some rules so that they're at least functional. Offhand, it's probably the best mounted combat system I can think of. One of the least played classes. You see them in Pathfinder Society. Also, mounted combat for archers, for excuse me, for archer rangers was pretty overpowered as you could th- could move and still full attack. Oh, good lord. One of the many reasons you probably don't use vehicle co- slash <clears throat> mount combat is the rules are always wonky. I've yet to see a system make it run well. I've, I've seen okay rules, savage rules, and Pathfinder offhand, but they're still clunky. If you can think of an exception, I'd love to see them and read through them because I really can't think of any. I would love to read some from my own system I'm working on. Uh, I'd like to chime in. Yes, go ahead. So I think if you get a system, and it doesn't really matter, Matt, what system it is, if the chases coincide with the overall mechanics of the game. So I'll elaborate. If you, as a player character... In order to accomplish something, it's very, I roll dice, compare it, add any skill bonus, and you have a target number, and if that it succeeds, great. And if you don't, if you don't hit the target number, you don't. If you have a system that's like that, and it coincides and crosses over into a chase, then I think it's a system that probably is less wonky, right? So it's same with Star Wars Fantasy Flight games. You have a ship. You have the skill, you roll the same dice, you have narrate out the outcome based on the... the so you're talking about a system that utilizes the core mechanics correct. and doesn't build a mini game within the game. That would be exactly what I'm saying. Because I think that's when things get really wonky is because you're stopping and having to do a different mini game within your game. We talked about this when we chatted about grappling a while back. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and even so, chase, and chases too. 
Yeah, and and I don't know if it crosses over very well necessarily, but at least then you're not like, er, stop, break out these pages of the book, reread them, oh, figure this out, figure that out, resolve. Continue, sir. That's all no I want problem. to say. Fair, fair, fair. Now, some systems do a pretty good job with chases and incorporate some combat, but as you, but as soon as you move into combat and vehicles without a chase, it breaks down again. Well, I've never ran slash played Starfinder. They seem to have some decent rule for keeping everyone engaged in starship combat. On terrain. I had a shit ton of Legos as a kid. I started gaming at 12 and made use of them. I had the cool pirate ships, which were once, which were nice for ship-to-ship combat. I had castles. We even had Legos instead of minis. Pretty sure the rules weren't followed that closely, but it sure was fun. Unfortunately, I got rid of them in my late teens or early 20s. Wish I still had them because I'd like to try them again. <clears throat> my main uh, friendly local gaming store is a Warhammer store, so I've used their terrain a little for our Pathfinder Society. But for the most part, I haven't used terrain in 15 years or so. I honestly like the idea of terrain, but don't see myself using it now. First, I have a negative 10 to crafting and always roll at disadvantage. Oh, Jesus, that's bad, man. Second, <laughs> I'm pre- I'm ple- ple- Second, I am pretty frugal, and they aren't something I could use a lot. I rarely run the same type of setting. I'm about to circle back to fantasy, and it's been a little over five years. It would sadden me to spend that money for a, uh, for a one use every five years, plus storage space. Has so many board games and RPGs that it's already hard to find space for, and I still have like three Kickstarters coming in. Uh, I know you feel, bro. If I had someone who loved to make it, though, I'd use it in more tactical games. However, the grid map works for me just fine, and it's much faster. Unless, as you said, you had enough uh, pieces to do the entire dungeon. Also, I've been running more zone-based games, which really don't benefit nearly as much from terrain. Games like Pathfinder, Savage Worlds, and 4E, they'll really do a benefit a lot, in my opinion. I love vision blocking on map tools so people couldn't even see around the corners. Having one guy around that corner and go, oh shit, is always a fun moment. (laughs) This guy has some good ways to make dungeons on the cheap. If you want a link, we've got a YouTube link there from uh, our buddy here, so thank you very much. And he hints at today, Temple of Elemental Evil. I bought the PC game twice, two different versions. Had it for over 20 years. I've had at least five computers in that time. Haven't been able to get it to run on any of them. <laughs> so it is, in fact, unplayable. Oh, that's not quite what I meant, but okay. Ah. <laughs> good, 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 good. Nice stuff, man. Good, yeah. good, goodness. All right. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Blake of House Ryan on Temple of Elemental Evil. Good day. My first game as a player was in the Temple of Elemental Evil. For those who don't know, the Temple of Elemental Evil was a 1st through 10th Mega Dungeon module in 1st AD&D set in the lands of Greyhawk. I thought it was 1 through 9, Blake. Just saying. Checking, checking. Keep reading. There are more, or there are over 400 rooms. It is a Mega Dungeon. Years later, I ran Temple of Elemental Evil with the group uh, in the group, took the throne down to level four and died. Insert new group to rescue their friends slash cousins. There are chances to set the factions against each other in some neat elemental planar exploration. One bit I like is there a cha- is there's, there's a chance to rescue a noble, which means you would normally escort them out, which gives the dungeon inhabitants a chance to regroup. My tip to GMs is to have them uh, followed. The activities of dungeon forces should not be confined to the dungeon. If I ran it again, I would have more chances for uh, fight escalation due to the close proximity of the many of the rooms. Of many of the rooms. Blackhawk down, eat your heart out. My only criticism of the modules 
seems like they did not have a clear idea of the ongoing bad guy. Zugmatoy, the fungus demon, is one of the big bads, but there's no mention of her in the moat house of the first 200 rooms of the dungeon. Likewise, there is a loth cultist in the moat house, and then one room to a loth cultist on level 3. Since there are dozens of rooms dedicated to the competing elemental factions in the temple, I think they should have had a stronger subplot with just one big bad instead of having Ayuz, Loth, and Zugmatoy. Zugmatoy, kind of involved. Keep the zip-zaps rolling, fellas. Blight Ryan. Good stuff. So, Davey White on vehicles. I'm continuing my BS binge on t and two of the shows I listened to were perfectly timed. I may have taken a dig at Sean's accent in my email last week. Lo and behold, I plug in an episode 136 where Sean does his accent for the whole show. Sean, if my wife and I rolled into your motel in the backwoods of Wisconsin, you'd greet her with that voice, she'd be back in the car in a heartbeat. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, let's just say I'm intrigued by what you may have served for breakfast. You guys, last show, the one on vehicles was great. My vehicle gamer story, if you give me time. My godson was new to the hobby, and I started running D&D for him. His dad and, and some old friends I played with back in high school about a half a year ago. This player wanted to have some wagon builder as a background for his lizard man fight tour. Rather than stating his wagon, excuse me, starting his wagon mechanically, I grabbed the driver playbook from Apocalypse World and used its vehicle traits to give the cart some personality. The traits he latched onto were off-road, handcrafted, spikes and plates, and rabbity. Hmm. In the end, he got a cart made from huge bones, curved, covered with horns and hide, pulled by three giant lizards that start and go as lizards do. The bone wagon has become a huge part of the story as the players go in and out of the wastelands. Players keep pulling elements from it into the session. When they camp en route, it looks like there remains a huge beast from a distance, so the gnolls tend to give it a pass. If they do get jumped, they fight from a defensive position. When someone misses or rolls low short rest hit points, it's because of the jerky ride of the wagon. In one combat, a lizard, the big one with the most hit points, got a name because a highlight got its name and became a highlight when we decided they should be able to fight back um, should something get in range. It scored a crit, decapitated one of the gnolls in one shot. Awesome times. In short, the vehicle has been a great addition to the party and story. Playing 5e has presented some challenges for me as a DM. None of my players are spellcasters, so it felt like the hit points are the only resource I could dig into to make the players squirm. With the wagon as another dial to play with, it's opened up another part of the game. They need to bring that thing and pack the loot and hide out in. They protect it. Anyway, all the best and thanks for your hard work, Davey White. Very cool. I like that idea. Lizard. Uh, I like the idea. Big old lizard wagon. Thanks, nice. Davey. And uh, so your wife doesn't like my accent, huh? Hmm. Okay. No, nobody does, Sean. Aww. <laughs> Aww. 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 Continuing on, James writes in about vehicles. Dear sirs, your recent episode, as Brad types away, your recent tickety episode tick, I never tick, prepared tick, got tick, me tick, thinking tick, about tick, the tick, bigger tick. issue of getting prepared <laughs> and what does that involve. I recognize in my own game, I easily spend three to four hours of preparation for every one hour of playing. Ooh. Yeah, dude, you got to you gotta change that up, man. That's, Unless you like it. If you like doing well, that. Well, that's true. Some people do. And that and that's a, that's a point I think sometimes we forget as a crew of DMs and gamers. Some people love prepping. Fair. 
Carry on. Now that preparation takes on many forms, writing out encounters, pulling stat blocks for the monsters, practicing dialogue as I drive about town running my errands, building terrain out of cardboard and foam, painting wrestling figures I purchased from Goodwill to look like frost giants, cheap form of minis, and who doesn't want to fight a blue skin, The Rock, in his skimpy wrestling shorts, and sitting on my porch drinking bourbon while designing villains and lairs for the players to encounter. Oh yeah, and last of all, reading the module and all of the Reddit and internet comments on how to better run said module. Game preparation for me is a form of creative meditation. Cool. I hope you find your zen, James. He's got bourbon. He obviously finds zen. Keep going. Since moving from Pathfinder to 5e, I found my preparation time is spent less trying to figure out mechanics of high-level combat, spells, and monsters... See charging, comment below. In anticipation of game night and more time working out game aesthetics and figuring the timing and tempo for the next session. I was wondering if you, I was wondering as you guys reflect on what you do to prepare for your regular game, how has that changed over the years? Is it changed because you are a more experienced DM or has it changed because you decided you don't give a shit and are winging it instead? Do you adopt the lazy dungeon master method of preparation or do you have your own preparation checklist you follow? What is the average ratio of to- prep time to play time would you estimate for your campaign? Not sure if this is interesting enough for an on-air discussion, but here it is anyways. We'll read it. In terms of your conversation about mounted combat, I was reminded of an Excel spreadsheet I had to create to calculate charge and smite attack combinations the Paladin in my Pathfinder game could ex- execute during an epic battle against undead dragon and other evil outsiders i.e. super evil to the paladin. For your pleasure, I've included the worksheet that calculated the two-hit modifier, damage and bonus damage, and for the charging paladin in. So he's got spirited charge, spirited charge on a critical, spirited charge plus smite evil, blah, 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 blah. Kind of goes on. Notice that the bonus damage was reaching 240 hit points for a 15-level paladin plus 5d8 regular damage. Woo! Wow. I think, Brett, the reason people stopped doing mounted combat is because it used to be too complicated, even though the damage was epic. In 5e, it is really only beneficial to spellcasters who can ride around and freely disengage while still casting spells or lance-wielding fighters who can stick opponents 10 feet away and deal damage while avoiding attacks of opportunity as they ride by. If you are a high enough level fighter to attack more than once per turn, the single-mounted lance attack may, be, may not be worth it. Archers would also benefit with the mobility and free disengage, but again, the encounter environment would have to be conducive to the kind of mobility. Horses have become grass-eating bicycles, as Brett would say. Thanks again for the thoughtful thoughts and the less-than-thoughtful but still entertaining thoughts on our favorite hobby. Best regards, James. James, you're going to take the prep uh, question you asked Sean. I've got that added to our list. So that is in the topic list, Sean. All right. You ready, Sean? Shall we move on? Yeah, we better get going here. All right, Brett. You ready? Temple of Elemental Evil. All right, Sean. So before we go too much further, have you ever run the Temple of Elemental Evil? First edition. I don't recall if I don't think I've ever run it. Have you ever played in it? 
I think I've played in it. I, I don't know. It's, if I did, it would have been when I was like 14. It's hard to remember. Okay. Dude, I have a hard time remembering yesterday. That's true. You're older than me. I am. Yeah. I am. See, I, I look at old, old guys are older than me like you as scouts. If you've made it, so can I. So that's so. Thank you. I well, there's that. the bar. <laughs> there's the bar. Sean yeah. made it. I can do this. Huh? Whatever I can do to, uh, you know, <laughs> make, make make you know provide some hope. Yes. So let's see here. First edition Temple of Elemental Evil, um, created by created by Gary Gygax and Frank Mensner. Frank, yeah, both on the front. Yeah, because Gary Gygax originally wrote the Village of Hamlet. Back in seventy nine, um, so the Temple of Elemental Evil was kind of was the expansion of that module, and I think when I when I go back to the statements that do, 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 that Blake Ryan mentioned about some of the pot- not potential the incongruities within it, I think that has something to do with it. You're taking a previously written thing and expanding it, and perhaps the way it expanded didn't cover all the right bases or whatever. And yeah, I would definitely say Temple of Elemental Evil is a mega dungeon. And that was how, when this sucker first came out. Which was? It, uh, hang on, hang on, hang 1985. on. Yeah, it was 85. Thank you. So, so literally six years almost after the yeah. Village of Hamlet. Yeah. I mean, it's a 200, excuse me, 200. It's 128 pages, right? The book, the soft cover that comes out. You could still, I mean, and within it, you have this wonderful... 16-page maps, just a little map booklet of all the different bits and pieces. Well, the coolest parts about this module for me um, was the map booklet itself, being able to pull it out. The old modules, for those of you who don't necessarily remember or have ever seen them, when you bought them, they had the wonderful TSR, the blue and white, right? So the folder, the outer, the front and back cover were loose. They came off inside the cover oftentimes were the main maps. Then in the rest of the module from TSR had perhaps other maps or bits and pieces and so forth. But I love the functionality for me of having the map booklet of all the main bits and pieces being able to be pulled out and looked at separately while I referenced through the module when I ran it. I have also played it as well. I have never run it through its completion. Whenever I've gone through it, the the characters get so far in and then the game collapses or had collapsed in the past. We didn't get all the way through it. But anyway, so the other component, um, Temple of Elemental Evil, I believe there was a novel at one point based on it. Um, there was a computer game, as we referenced. And then Monty Cook, back in the 3.0 days, did the return to the Temple of Elemental Evil. And there's an Elemental Evil hardcover set, hardcover adventure, 4-5th edition. So it's still out there, right? Elemental no. Evil. Yeah, Elemental Evil. It's out there. No, that's during. There's no. That's Princess of the Apocalypse, isn't it? No. For five E. Five E. No. No. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, anyway. <laughs> so what? What do you? When you think Temple of Elemental Evil, what do you think about it? I was paging through it. It's levels one through eight, by the way. Uh huh. Like, yeah. Um. Ah, you know, I don't know. It seemed relatively. I mean, Village of Hamlet I have. I bought it separately from the Temple of Elemental Evil. It would. It, I was reading some of the box texts. Some of it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, it makes sense to me, but it doesn't, right? So there's like bot, box text I remember. Oh, sorry. You're, you're correct. Prince of the Apocalypse is the 
homage to the temple. You're right. You're right. Correct. My bad. My yeah. bad. I forgot the name. Yeah. I confused. Brad I confused. was Googling frantically to put Yeah, I'm like, wrong. oh my God, I'm, what am I confusing yeah. this with? Because I think he's right. And I had to find it out right away. So yes, yes. you are correct. Keep going. But uh, I was reading the box text of one particular area the PCs would come across. And it went into like, and there's a, you know, this is where the guy and his wife live with their four sons and uh, they have yeah. 16 like, copper pieces kept under the loose stone in the yes blah, 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 and i'm blah. like how in the hell would anybody know that from just approaching a door i believe this was this is back in the day first edition you had thieves and one of the things that i think was very common back then i don't know if it's still common for people now but if the thief were to break into everybody's house you want to have stuff and this is also back in the time when, well, you can get this now with adventures, when you have too much back background, too much detail. You know, this is mega dungeons like this. They're for publication. This is still fairly new territory. I mean, granted, somebody will say, yes, there's been larger ones or whatever the case is. But I don't think a real critical eye towards how much detail is too much detail. Um. I don't think that's been around for quite as long as some of these modules. So I get your point, and I absolutely agree with you. Because you, if to read through it, you slog through a lot of stuff. Like, oh my god, how did they keep this in my mind? Oh my god, do I have to memorize all this? No, no, you don't. <laughs> you just don't. The village of Hamlet and uh, Nulb, the little bitty town that's you right. can you can bump into. There's <laughs> there's a lot of garbage detail, <laughs> tons god, and tons man. of it. I, I mean, you can find out the blacksmith lives here under a loose stone. You you could find a plus one dagger. And over here, you could find a this. And over there, you can find a that. When I ran it, um, good group of players. They're good PCs. They came in, went to the moat house, the first big thing. They come back, kind of got their asses handed to them. And some of the villagers provided them with some of the goods. Like, oh, you were doing a good deal, a good deed. Here's something I can do to help you. So they were actually using that money and whatever I was using it as a source of reward or income, something to help the players move along. That's what I had done with it. But be that as it may, in the Temple of Elemental Evil, you start out in the village of Hamlet. So spoilers, everybody, if you don't want to know this stuff, stop listening. It's been out since like 79, this part of it. So I, I think we're past the spoiler range. So you're in this wonderful little town of Hamlet, and then there's the moat house. This this game, very. <laughs> I mean, these are the types of adventures. Like, there's a there's a dungeon over there. You're going there, right? There's not a lot of rhyme or reasons to why you're gonna. You're just gonna. <laughs> I mean, well, this is you. You and I have talked about this. There's, you know, what the hell do I have to do to tell people? Look, there's a dungeon over there with a dragon. Well, what's my motivation? No, you're here to play D and D. Go fucking clear out the moat house. You know. Do you agree or no? So the moat house was the was. I mean, I know what the premise of going to the temple was, but is, is that tie into the moat house? Is that moat house is the first stop, dude? I know, but the reason players are going to go there. So the reasons of getting ahead of this, but the reasons the players go to the temple is because there's a lot of shit that's coming out of the temple. Correct. Like, right. And then there was a, a force that went in and I don't think they did very well. Right, mm-hmm. and you've got the different provinces of of Greyhawk that are sending troops there and all that, whatever. But regardless, the temple remains kind of not even secluded, is maybe the, but it's in place, and there's 
baddies that are there and some even bandits that are operating out of it and evil. So the players are kind of under the, hey, go to the temple and and get rid of the evil. Well, you start in the village of Homeland. I know or, that, but yeah. w- what about the moat house? Is that just, hey, go check out the moat house? Or is that also a source of evil? It's a source of evil. You, um, Lareth the Beautiful is the um, horrible evil person that's there. But the moat house is kind of where you go to get your chops. You're a first level adventurer, right? right? Yes. And you want to go there because there are things you can do to get you level up and so forth. And if I'm remembering it all correctly, I proved this a while ago, you're going to find clues and you're going to find information and you're going to get ready to go after the actual temple itself. Things get skeevier and harder to deal with as you move up towards Nulb and make your way to the actual temple. Gotcha. Oh, because there's agents secretly plan to re-enter the temple Mm -hmm. and free the demoness. Yes. Zugdmoy. Zugdmoy. The demon queen of fungus. Which is in prison there. Mm-hmm. I see. Okay. What's interesting, and um, Blake mentioned this earlier, is that depending on what you do, my recollection of reading it, and I did not reread the entire thing in preparation for this, but there's data and there's clues and stuff hidden, but in this older school method, it was very important to read the whole adventure. And to go through in some way, shape, or form, make mental notes, take notes of some kind, like, hey, are there any serious clues that we have to give out or that we should make sure the players have? Then again, this is also at a point when, you know, if you fail to find a clue, you just fail to find a clue. So you could easily stumble through chunks of this adventure and not even realize who Zugtmoy is or Ayuz is involved or any of that stuff. Fair? Yes. You're you're looking something up. Scramble, scramble. No. No? <laughs> I see you looking it up. Don't lie to me. No, I'm not. <laughs> so one of the other things that is interesting to me is this adventure has always been a... It's it's in Greyhawk, in the world of Greyhawk, the Flannus. And I've always thought about... When I think about Greyhawk, I think about this style of adventure. There's demons, a demoness. Demon Queen of Fungus, you've got Ayus, the terrible from from his own land. He's basically a Cambian demigod type of thing that lives in the north. There, there's a lot of big bad stuff, right? And it doesn't how do I want to say this? In Greyhawk, the gods and demons and devils and so that they walk the earth, right? They're there, they're around. And for whatever reason, when I was growing up playing that wasn't as common or didn't feel as common, or that's always been at least in homebrew worlds and stuff, but that's always been a Greyhawk piece to me where that stuff is always there. The thing I liked about the adventure the most is when I got, is it was, I always wanted to run like a huge adventure. I wanted to run a big thing and I had no idea how to do it. You know, a big, a big dungeon of some kind. As a kid, I'd map out big dungeons and so on and so forth. And even if there are flaws in the, uh, the storyline or the story logic itself. When I read or when I read the Temple of Elemental Evil the first time, I was very inspired to say, oh, I could run this huge thing. I can start really small with these characters, give them some cool stuff to want to do and get them to want to be in this big dungeon. They're going to want to go in there and they're going to want to clean this thing out because of how evil it is. Oddly enough, I had the hardest time understanding elemental evil 
that was the weirdest thing to me. Like, I don't like Earth is evil. How's Earth? How's Earth evil? Uh, air, water, fire? Really? These things are evil? How, how, how does that play? That was odd to me as a, as a player and game master, at, at least at the time when I read it. And like I said, is it the best written? Not necessarily. Um, I've had people tell me it's unplayable. I don't know if it's really unplayable. It's got its points where it might be a little clunky or whatever, but I think it's there's enough there that you could... It, it's a big goddamn dungeon crawl with some pretty epic stuff in it. Sean, staring at me with a weird grin. <laughs> I just... I I... I do not eat at the House of Gygax. So, all right. So what does that mean? It means that... All the old stuff is stupid. You're stupid. Look, here's the thing. (laughs) I appreciate Gary coming up and Dave and whoever else has been involved in the early development of tabletop role-playing games. So I want to give credit where credit is due. And it is far beyond what I, I don't... I do not find it appealing to piss on a dead man's grave. But at the same time, there is just some of those old adventures that ring fondness upon me. But then I read them and get into them. I'm like, good Lord, these are such crap. So why do you when you read it and you say or you look through it, you go, wow, it's crap. Is it because the nostalgia candle has been blown out for you? You don't remember? No, I don't think. Or is it because you read it and go, what, 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 what is making you say that? That is the that is like why did I ever think this was great, and it was probably because I was thirteen and I didn't know any better and had never encountered anything that was so crazily fabulous at the time. Okay, and now that I'm older, jaded, and crusty, I read some of this and go, you know. So having said that, the people that are putting out things today, you know, in in a particular format and how it's read and how I mean, even listening to like. Down with D and D with Chris and Sean, how they talk about adventure design and some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Even box text, which we haven't, we should probably put on the list of things to debate because there's people that hate it and some people that love it, yeah, and appreciate yeah. it. It is a different era because we've learned from those times, right? We've like computers used to take up entire rooms. Now they take up the size of your phone, and they're more powerful than any computer was done in you know the 1960s. True. True. So because of the evolution of the gaming sphere, I have a better appreciation of what is published nowadays, I think, than what was before because I was reading some of this and I'm like, I mean, it is formulaic for sure. Everything has got, you know, maybe there's treasure. You're right. There's a room. There's, I mean, Hamlet's got buildings and stuff and it tells you everything about the building. You know, mm-hmm. here's the woman and she lives in this building and she does this and she's the farmer's, what you know, anything, whatever, make it up. And there, you know, if you go inside in the room, there's a treasure, you know, there's a box. And in that box is 25 gold pieces, 24 platinum pieces. What would you rather have? A necklace. You know, I don't know. I would much rather have it be somewhat of a, so I guess it, it depends on what you're talking about. Like what, Okay. So Hamlet and the temple are obviously, especially the temple, is definitely a dungeon crawl. Yes. Got it. So, yeah, great. Room by room, knock it down, kill the beast, get the treasure. Typical first edition AD&D premise. Okay, fine. I'll live with it. Going through Hamlet, 
I think it's a good, a lot of people have touted how Hamlet is a good base. Like here's a town where you can start your own campaign. Like yep, you I did that. I just did that with my Pathfinder game. Used Hamlet as a start. Hamlet. There's the um, Cult of the Reptile God, the town yep. in that, mm-hmm. that Colville liked. So you have that. You don't have to create buildings. You don't have to create people. It's all there. Great. Awesome. And some of that is done. I mean, some of the information in Hamlet in the beginner, beginning of Temple of Elemental Evil or as a standalone is all good information. I think it's maybe laid out weird or it's not beneficial to how you may unfold it in a story. Okay. Right? So if you have, hey, this is woman's house, blah, 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 blah. You're not going to know that unless you dive, you you understand that, right? It would be like walking into a town and going, oh, that's Brett's house. Well, who the fuck is Brett? Right? You only know who Brett is unless you go like to the tavern and you know who Brett is. And then he says, hey, come on back to my house. We'll have a beer and we'll shoot some arrows. Oh, okay, great. Now I know where Brett's house is. So if I'm the tour guide, then I could say, oh, that's Brett's house. Like so he, you don't, you want the module to do all the work for you. Well, I think that there is a reason there is a module. Yeah. Right? right. So it provides so, you the sandbox environment sure. with all these details. And yes. you can then say, hey, I'm going to have the farmer in the town and they'll have the players meet him. It may they may be, choose never to meet him or right. never talk to him or never to go back to his house for a beer, but they had the chance and I had the details if they needed it. So it may not necessarily be Hamlet. It's like, it it's may not, not well guided. No. So, right. So I think that's what you're getting at here. It is. It's a very, it's a very laid out strange. Like if you were to read like the lost man of Fandalver, there is like at the, like in a chunk, right. In a particular layout, there is every little person that you might meet mm-hmm. that is of somewhat significance that would really kind of give you a side quest. So you you know those. So as soon as you go up to the building, you run into Mary or Jane or John, you automatically can page to that section where it's going to be, oh, this is what they're going to be talking about. This is their motivation. They have this a purpose is, and, a, and a goal and things they'll say. They have a purpose and a goal and it, you know... Sure, you could break into their house. Maybe they have a treasure chest full of crap, but it's really not that. It's it's. Can you go into the woods and find my pin? My pin was stolen by a yep. goblin. So I look at an older module like this and I say, I am going to have to do work. Yeah, a lot because which, the module is not right. designed. Which now, if you look at like bang for your buck type of thing, look. If I bought this adventure and I pay fifty dollars for this hardcover, I open it up. And I'm like, wow, it doesn't have a very clear guide as to at least the players could take it off the rails. You could do whatever you want, but say, hey, this is how things probably could go. Very clear path to follow or paths or options and so forth. If it's not very clear and if there isn't purpose, if if the detail within isn't purposeful, if it's potentially extraneous, it's not laid out well, right? Seems like kind of a waste. We look at the the original Temple of Elemental Evil and a lot of those older adventures. It's there, I believe, because at the time, I don't know what the Dungeon Master who reads this is going to want to do. They could do the idea of breaking anything, doing whatever you want. The Game Master is the uh, final authority. Some of those uh, NPCs could easily become PCs. You could hire them. You never know what could be done. And 
I think there was a lot more. How do I do this? So <clears throat> helping the dungeon master be a good dungeon master for this adventure. How do you run this thing, quote unquote, correctly? Or how do I help you run this adventure? Other than a snippet of box text and a bunch of history and detail for you to absorb, they didn't have another way to do that. Or at least it wasn't approached any differently. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, here's a bunch of detail. Absorb this, and then there'll be a quiz on Friday. Yeah. Right? So you're saying that is there or it is not? I'm saying the data is there, but their approach, this old, this older approach, I'm going to call it old school, so we'll get mad at me, I know, but the approach that I see in the original Temple of Elemental Evil is here's all this stuff, read it, absorb it, at least ahead enough so that you can understand where, where you know, you're two, three chapters ahead of where the players may go, and there'll be a quiz on Friday. And by that, I mean game time will happen. And depending on what the players do, you don't have the luxury of flipping over to Marianne, who lost a pin because a goblin stole it. You may have to do something totally different that you're going to have to make up. You know, you have to piece stuff together yourself, which is okay if you're if you really are down for that. But if you're like, look, I bought this adventure, so I didn't have to build an adventure. <laughs> you know, if I bought a pre-created adventure, so I didn't have to do that. I could see where that's not your cup of tea. Now I'm not saying it's one is right or wrong. I'm no, just saying it, it's it's a different. That's how I feel the approach is. Versus now, when I read a newer adventure, or even what I tried to write stuff from Avalon setting, I tried to make it so that it was very clear as to how I, as the author, thought things should work. It should. It will probably go like this. Or here's if it does look, goes a little crazy here, here, here. Here's some ideas of how you, as the game master, can help keep things together and you can help do stuff. There's not a lot of tips and tricks in this adventure. That's no. what I'm saying. There's yeah. like, look, I am assuming you are an ace game master. You're an ace dungeon master. You're going to grab this sucker and you're going to roll with it. And I'll see you at the con. And you tell me how it went for you. There's no tips, tricks or help really, in my opinion. No, I agree with you. And I think there's a compromise to, to that piece where it's here's, here's a bunch of stuff. Go nuts versus here's how it, how things could go and how you can use this info. Pick up some of the good Goodman games adventures for DCC. Yeah. They're like, here, boom. It's the um, you know, Sailors in the Starless Sea. There's the um, the Viking Barrel Ground, whatever it is. It's very clear what you're going to do, but they're minimal and they don't have tons of over-detailed, right? Right. Hey, there's five villagers. That's it. There's five villagers. Oh, and here's the witch, and here's the brigand, and here's the this guy. You need to know these people because they actually have stuff for you. The only detail they provide is stuff that's useful for the game master versus extraneous stuff that may be of no use. Sorry, I interrupted you. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say that the, the Emerald Enchanter has some background of what it's about, mm -hmm. but like, unless you're a bard... Or some mage that rolls, and I roll my arcana, or I roll my bardic knowledge, so I can remember spout. there were no and there were no skills in first edition. Yeah, no, but you know, if somebody was playing a bard, this, that's the thing. If I wanted them to know it, I would tell them, you know this, and I would spew this crap to them, mm -hmm. so that it was somewhat relevant. Because you know, there's a lot of stuff in a lot of published modules that are like here. 
here's a bunch of here's a lot of the stuff that you as a game master will want to know and it goes back in history and some of it is valuable and some of it is like maybe not so much but to make it valuable you have to give it to the players so that they can kind of absorb it and go ooh that's kind of cool well like otherwise I'm- it's it's legitimately it's hamlet and there's a temple up far you know distance off that's sending big bad uglies to our mm-hmm. town and somebody should go up there and get rid of that shit. Yep. Cuz if you look at like the on page 4 of the temple itself of the adventures of the village of Hamlet or merely Hamlet as it's commonly called is situated in the central part of blah blah blah. It is 1 2 3 Oh, it's basically if we were all on one page it'd almost be a 3 quarters of a page of three column text of player background. Right? It doesn't say, hey, read this to the players. Right. It just says player background. Am I supposed to assume the players know that? It's not in box text, so I'm not supposed to read it to them. Am I supposed to type print this out or write, handwrite it because there were, or photocopy it because there were no computers back in the day? Right. How, how, what should I do with this knowledge? Should I give it to everybody in the group? Yeah, you if you were a saying? new player and you picked this up, what would you do with it? Yeah. You would, I mean... <laughs> Tabletop role playing games from for a lot of us starting out happen to be where some one of our knucklehead friends or older brothers or cousins or sisters, whatever it was, came up with it, read it, and figured out like it's played like this. And then we took that and go, Oh, my game master runs it like this, and they ran this module, so I'm gonna do something that's very similar. Mm-hmm. It's very kind of like passed down, but now that's changed. Now that people are watching Critical Role, I think there's still a, a lot of elements that watching AP. Oh yeah, totally. Actual play, right? Like, oh, how can I be a better dungeon master? Like, listen to a podcast, or they read a book, or they watch. You know. I, I mean, in fairness, if you go from I get page five where it says notes for the dungeon master, it and it goes over to page six and it has another part that says other adventures. It's and it's trying to say, hey. What would happen if some people die and they choose to leave Nulb? They're like, I'm out of here. I want to go do something. How can you do different things? What if they go into the Crone Hills? What if they go to um, the Vice County? What if they go to this other place, or Valuna or Vervambank? Or where, what if they – it gives bits and pieces of that, right? But this is, again, kind of – and maybe 80s is an infancy per se, but the whole producing – an adventure with very clear this is how this is how I'm gonna help you game master, dungeon master, run this and have a good time as you do it. I, I it's not it's not strong suit <laughs> not, yet. It's, it's not, not it's not hundred no. percent there. No, and I and part of this and this episode, I mean, talking about Temple of Elemental Evil, we're starting in I mean, what we're talking about really has nothing specifically to do with the Temple of Elemental Evil necessarily. It's dungeon design or not dungeon design adventure design and i could you know complain about a bunch of stuff that was published well, what's interesting in is you, you've told me that you've got certain adventures that you loved well i have a from, fun, i have an appreciation of i don't think they're overly good okay so that's interesting so yeah. when i when i look at this one the thing for temple for me is that because i i use it as i could put this anywhere i want it's this wonderful, um, for me anyway, I've used it for second edition. I've used it in third edition. Um, I can pick this thing up and I can drop it in any world I want to. 
I can use the dungeon maps because the maps are fun. I can use the idea behind it, the encounters. I can use the, the village of Hamlet. I have reused and reskinned portions of the Temple of Elemental Evil more than any other adventure that I've ever purchased. I've retooled it and retweaked it many times over. That's always been a lot of fun. I think because I look at it, and insofar as well, I want to say this, I look at it as a um, as a guidebook or something. I don't know, maybe a gazetteer in of itself. That it's something. It's a reference manual that I can use to fill in bits and pieces. I could take chunks of the module, like the first two levels of the dungeon. I can make that a thing. I can just I've taken the moat house and used it separately, had it not connected to anything else, simply because it was it's a fun quick adventure type of thing. So I have found that the, you know, even if I don't get into, Hey, you know, back in, you know, 569, uh, the year, the combined forces were sent to destroy the temple, put an end to the marauding, this allied army clashes with the horde of evil men and humanoids. I, even if I don't get into all the history and how come the demon of Zugtomoy is, you know, she's imprisoned down there, blah, blah, blah. And I use, even if that stuff never comes up, I still mine the product for some goodies I can steal. So I guess for me, I think it's kind of the adventure has stepped beyond like, hey, I want to run this adventure to how can I use bits and pieces of it to make my current game more fun? Either as a throwback piece or just as a reference like, again, the Village of Hamlet is just a great place to start stuff because it's got a lot of details to it. So what do you do? Just grab whatever you need? and Or do you go through – or do you literally go, oh, they're in room 24. Let me see. Look up room 24. Blah. I've or, done that. Yeah. Okay. I've done that. Because I think in a mega dungeon – I think the mega dungeons are pretty straightforward. I mean, there isn't a lot of, of flair to them, in my opinion. I mean, they're – there's not a lot of need for fluff. It's, you know, you're going down a freaking dank dungeon. It's yes. like, you know, you're not going to run into a shit ton of NPCs. You may hear this or you may smell that. Well, the interesting thing about this one is that it's a temple. It's an active temple to evil. So when I use the bits and pieces of it, this is a this is where cultists are hanging out. This is where some sure. evil god is doing something. So I grab this. If I reskin it from the fire temple or the earth temple or the water or the air or whatever, I take that piece of the map and this is um, it's orcs or it's evil humanoids worshiping some orcus or demogorgon or something. I just reskin it, and because of how it's laid out for me anyway, I look at it and it has a feel. I don't know that just it befits these cult temple type underground areas as opposed to a long forgotten tomb or something or a dwarven cavern. I grab this when I need this is where the cultists are hanging out. This is where the bad evil priest or priestess is trying to summon their horrible evil deity into the world. That I can see as being interesting. And I think as you put different components in a mega dungeon, like temple of elemental evil, and there's a certain theme or they're hanging out there. Well, and it's also AD&D. So back in AD&D world, level one of the dungeon is... Easier. Is is hard times one. Mm-hmm. You know, level two is hard times two. Well, the other thing that this module taught me was that if you set things up, the first part of this, again, spoilers, is that there are seals, these seals on these doors in the dungeon. If you break them, 
going in, if you crack the big magical glyphed seal on the on the doors, whatever, you make shit worse for yourself later on. It gets harder. If you avoid cracking the seals and so forth, it's a little bit. It's still not. It's not a cakewalk by any stretch. But if you start busting those things out, it makes it worse. So what that did for me when I read that, I'm like, oh, that's neat. If I set something up that it's an alarm or it's you know something. That again, these cultists. If I do this, I am. I've created and I've created in a, a chain of. I've knocked the first domino down, right? That goes click, 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 and by the time I get to the end, oh great! Um, there's the horrible evil goddess of fungi that's risen up and eh, son of a bitch. You know why it happened? Yeah, I know. I broke the first two fucking seals up front. I realized that was bad in the fourth room. You know, but having that stuff out there is interesting. So anyway. That, that that was a piece I learned from this adventure particularly. And you're right though, in in first edition, the other thing you don't you don't have knowledge checks. Right? Right. There's no skill check that says, Hey, uh, roll Arcana. Well, give me a religion roll, see if you know anything about oh, you hear the term Zugmatoy. You'd and you'd look at your friends and go, Do you know who Zugtomoy is? Oh yeah, she's a demon queen of fungus, the game master. Oh, you read that in a book, you're not supposed to know that. Okay, you have to forget he said that. All right, fine, I'll forget you said that. <laughs> Because if it didn't come up in the game, you didn't know, right? There's a lot of bits and pieces that if you, some of the the history here, St. Cuthbert, the Citadel of Eight, um, a lot of this stuff, this history in, in the player section, even the DM section, I think if I were to run this again now, as a first edition Greyhawk game, it's been so long since the people uh, that I game with have played in it, I would say, look, here's the deal. I'm going to give you a bunch of stuff to either read or I'm going to break it out into pieces. I'll narrate it for you. But we're going to go through some of this history. Please take notes or something. I'd f- try to find a way to take all that knowledge of the history of the temple and make it so that the players could understand it. Even if it was a handout with certain names highlighted that I would tell them to reference. If they said, hey, do I know that? I think check your reference book. Oh, yeah, I'll check my references and encourage them to take copious notes and all the different things they learn. Um, and referencing back to the, to the history document that I gave them, yeah. but otherwise, you're right. <laughs> there's no there's no opportunity to roll your Arcana check and say, "Oh, yeah, I, I know what happened here. This was, um, you know, out oh, by the Wild Coast. This is what happened." And then the gnarly the creatures from the gnarly forest came in, and then Cuthbert's avatar came down, and blah. It, I don't have a way as a player to invoke the game master to give me knowledge. And I think that's part of what your yeah, issue a is. Bit. Yeah. Well, and and it should go, and I, we should note this that they ranked all the Dungeons and Dragons adventures for Dungeon Magazine in 2004 yeah. at one point. That's right. And it was the that. ranked the fourth greatest D and D adventure of all time. <laughs> but what I don't understand, and and what is unfortunate, I'd have to look and see if I actually have that issue. I don't. I don't think I do. But why? Like, why is it? Why are any of these? I think it was a vote. Open vote? I think it was an open vote. I'll have to check. What what DM, what Dungeon, uh, what Dragon? Ma- Doesn't say. It just says Dungeon Magazine 2004. Oh, Dungeon Magazine? Fuck, yeah. I don't have those. So, I mean, why is that ranked number four? Yeah. You know, is it because it was such a, you know, this, it, it and some of these, rankings or some of these reviews about why the Tuma Horrors is great or whatever, 
will actually stipulate it was the first time that TSR started doing X or Y, which I can understand. So maybe there's a, a different approach to dungeon design or encounter design or whatever it is. Um, maybe it's, hey, this is the first time they implemented box text. It was crazy and people's <laughs> minds blew apart. Yeah, I didn't even know what that was. Right. Yeah. Or was it the I, first time? I think time? this may have been an open vote. I don't recall. It probably was. And then and then what happens is you get a lot of knuckleheads like me that are like, it was just so great. I remember when, it, when I was 14, I went through it. And it was no. so awesome. And mm-hmm. then I'm like reading it when I'm a lot older than 14 going, eh, I don't know. And then you've got the nerve to say you wonder why you <sighs> lost the wonderment. Nothing's fun anymore. I just don't understand. It's not up to new standards. <laughs> It is very different, though. If you take, I'm giving you shit, but I know, I know. But if you take, for example, like Tomb of Annihilation, which is pre-published, it's one. I mean, I don't read all of them. I don't have Storm King's Thunder. I don't Mm -hmm. have Princess Apocalypse. But I read something like Temple of the Elemental Evil, and I really want to love it. Like I want to grab it, I want to read it, I want to absorb it, and then run it, and it's great, and it's awesome, and ah, it's gonna be so fun. But I read the Tomb of Annihilation, and there's. Even when I don't even use half the crap that's in there, like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, the party is here. What happens? And I kind of go with the flow, but I don't have to implement what's in the module. As a matter of fact, there's times when I forget what the locations are, even though it'll say, hey, the players will stay in this hotel or whatever, this N. Uh-huh. Of course, I'm just winging it and like, yep, you're in the end of Nainzaratu or whatever, Nainzaru. My point is that they're the way they're constructed, how they're portrayed, how the information is laid out is just so much better. Well, in my the, opinion, I agree. I agree. And if the other thing that a lot of the older adventures had is every room tent could be a very self-contained unit again, because you did not always have, and I don't remember if this is in, in there in detail, but you didn't always have, Hey, by the way, if a huge fight breaks out in here, um, the fire temple will pull up stakes and leave the dungeon. Oh, if you've killed, this, this, and this, the water temple probably collapses and goes away. I would I would just empty out that part of the dungeon. There's no treasure for the PCs to find or whatever happens. Yeah. Everything is a room of the monster, room of the monster, room of the monster. There's connections and linkages and so forth and sometimes, but often it's run one, you know, one event right after the other. Now, if you take a, if you look at the return to Temple of Elemental Evil that Monty Cook did, good old Cookie Monster, this is a fourth, the 14th level 3-0 adventure. This has... Your wonderful, hey, here's size and scope. This one has Tharzadun, which is the Elder Elemental Eye. Tharzadun is a great, crazy god of chaos and whatnot. It has evil elementals. History as the locals know it. True history. Zogtamoy, Ayus, the fall of the temple. And it has a wonderful thing here on page six. The course of the adventure, part one, part two, part three. The changing, the conclusion. Oh, and next up here on page seven is character hooks. To begin the adventure, all that is really needed is that the PCs be in Hamlet with time on their hands. Adventures worthy of the name should have uh, great trouble resisting the temptation to explore the infamous moat house and perhaps even the ruins of the feared temple of elemental evil. So there's bullet points here. The party learns about this. One or more characters is a descendant from. It has a list of things. One, two, three, four, five. Five quick bullet points that said, hey, this is how you can get some people involved. It's helping you. Right. Which is yes. more to what we're used to now. Right. But if I bought a module, I'm like, wow, this sounds cool. It's really neat. How the hell do I get anyone to give a fuck about going to Temple of Elemental Evil? Well, it's sending horrible evil monsters out. Okay. Um, 
how come Rufus and Byrne, the wizard and warrior that live in Hamlet, and other bigger, more powerful NPCs like, oh, I don't know, Morden Kanan, um, come and fucking deal with it. Why do I have to deal with it? I'm a first level plebe. Why would I go to, why would I fight this? Hooks and reasons to be there. These are things that we often take for granted now. And I think that at the time it was often assumed, look, you're here to play D&D. Just sit down to play D&D. And there's something to be said for that, right? In the older module approach. Look, you came here to play Dungeons and Dragons. Sit down and fucking play Dungeons and Dragons. And if I have to drag you by the nose and help, well, I don't know if my character would do that. Go make a character that would do that, please. <laughs> you know, that's that's kind of a, a kind of a, kind of table stakes in a way. Does that make sense? Yes. You don't like it though. No, I do, and and we should note that Return of the Temple of Elemental Evil was published in two thousand one. Mm-hmm. And is the sequel yes, to the original. Is. Absolutely. And uh, was used under the 3.0 rules? I don't yes. know if 3.5 was out yet. No, 3.0. I think it was 3.0, yeah. Third edition, yep. Still set in Greyhawk. Um, and it's I, th- I it's probably the almost, like if you just took that, I mean, it's just the same thing, probably rewritten and laid out better oh it's an awesome it's an awesome adventure I, i've gone through i've read it a few times i have played through it um my buddy lenny ran it <coughs> excuse me it's a lot of fun because the premise is the same very similar yes the cult is there you've mm-hmm. got hamlet that's there location they- shift around some things are different of course you got to keep it fresh but you now have a game system that has skill checks and so forth and so on you have a mechanism within the game system to help the players get data and so forth. There's a lot of really cool stuff in there. But my buddy Lenny <coughs> loves this adventure and he has enough figures because he likes to play this tactically in a grid so that every room, every encounter, he has enough Kuatoa, enough of this, enough of this to fill the room as needed. Hmm. So that was that was a goal he had. I will have enough figures to outfit this entire adventure. And he does. It's a it's a pretty hefty tome, too. What the hell is the sucker clock in at here? Flip this over. We're looking at 188 pages here. And it's levels 4 through 14. 4 through 14. Yeah. This also has a wonderful uh, full-color pull-out, little maps of Hamlet, the temple, all the different cool pieces. So this is a son of a gun, too. This is a tough one to get through. So I don't know about you, Brett. Mm-hmm. Unless you're playing AD&D or you have a certain, um, a certain motivation to run the original Temple of Elemental Evil, and you don't want to run Princes of the Apocalypse because I don't know how that ties in. I know I'm, I know it is, but I'm not sure to what extent I would personally run Return. Yeah, Return is a very good adventure, and I would pro- and I could probably port it to Five E relatively easily. Oh fuck yeah! Even if you didn't change a whole lot, it has ascending armor class hit points. It's not hard, right? My so one of the. Crazy ideas that my friends and I come up with. We sit down and say, you know what we should do? What should we do? Brett should run the original Temple of Elemental Evil. Yeah. And then whatever happens in it, then Lenny runs the return to Temple of Elemental Evil, modifying it based on what happens in Brett's game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That'd be, that'd be really cool. That'd be really cool. Different game system. That'd be fun. That's never going to happen because we're all in our 40s and 50s. We wouldn't have time for that shit. Maybe this will be a, retire- a gamer's retirement home uh, plan, but that's... <laughs> 
And now Prince of the Apocalypse is out too. Then Elf will be like, hey, when you're done with that, I'll run 5e Prince of the Apocalypse. I'll do that variation of it. I mean, maybe that's what we'll do. Yeah, I'm totally, I'm ignorant as the Princes of the Apocalypse. I have no idea. I got in on a piece of that game as I, uh, Alpha ran it for my for my buddies. I wasn't able to make the game, but I got in on a couple sessions, but I don't know enough about that one. And we should say that the from the Temple of Elemental Evil to the return to the Temple mm-hmm. in-game, mm-hmm. nine years later. Yes. It's nine years. I don't know what it, what it is, the Princes. And the Princes takes place in Faroon and the Front Realms, too. Yeah. Yeah. Which would be, that ruins it for me. Does it? Well, I mean, it, it kind of did for me, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm saying it with a smile on my face because I'm like, oh, oh, they bring back Greyhawk. No, they didn't. Oh, no, That's no, sad. we're just gonna plop a Greyhawk thing somewhere else. Adventure in Forgotten Realms. Which, as I said earlier, I do that myself. <laughs> I steal from the temple. Yeah, I put it other places. But yeah, when it's an official that when it's an official thing. Oh, come on, bring me a Greyhawk back. Yeah, which is. I guess whatever wizards, but it would have been. I mean, would it would have it have killed them just to keep the same geography? Don't know. I don't know. But I can I can see why some people would name this an unplayable or a very difficult dungeon for all the reasons you said. Um, it's not always very clear motivations on some of the. Ba- it does seem there's a lot of stuff you are probably not going to find out. A couple of the. Um, the levels are pretty sketch. And when I say that, I mean, there's not a lot of uh, super detail on some of them. They seem very, okay, you're on this level. You should be able to figure this out for yourself. Here's the special rooms, but otherwise fill these other rooms type of thing. Well, is there any, is there any theme as you go along? Are you going into rooms and uncovering a journal that'll explain what they're doing and how they're doing it and what you have to do as far as objectives? Yeah, there's, there's information to be found. You know, you come into a room, it's got more symbols on it. Oh, this is the symbol of the fire temple. This is the symbol of this, and so on. Uh, the orb of the golden death. Oh, that's that's a thing you find out, or, <clears throat> or excuse me, and, and so on. But it's not, hmm, this is the days of player skill, right? Right. And dungeon master skill. If you don't have, you don't have a skill check, <laughs> if you don't, if you fail to search that room, you don't find the secret door and the hidden room has the clue in it. You're fucked for that clue. It ain't going to show up. So I, I can see where some people wouldn't necessarily like it. I could see other people who love that aesthetic and love everything about it would be like, no, this is perfect. It's a wonderful thing. It's huge. It's a mega dungeon. Yep. And I think the most beautiful part about a mega dungeon like this, even if you don't use the whole thing and you like old school one E <coughs> excuse me, style adventuring, because it's a mega dungeon, like Borrow Maze and Rappanathak and so on, you can take it and break it into chunks. Sure. You can absolutely steal it and Ben's fold, spindle, mutilate the sucker and use it in lots of different ways, which is by the reason, like I say, I like it. There is part of me that does want to run a mega dungeon on roll 20 with dynamic lighting and fog of war. And they're trudging through and they... You know, can't see what's in front of them, and it's it's genuinely like, hey, there's tokens and all that other stuff. I mean, it would be the 2D version of a, you know, 3D dungeon, right? Like, yeah, the the, but I would probably do it more 
Yeah, I mean, I would probably do 5e. Pathfinder, in that respect, would probably appeal to me just a little bit because then you are laying everything out tactically. Mm-hmm. And if you're in there and you're like, well, where are you? How far away am I? I don't know. Look at the screen. Count the squares. That's literally how far away you are. Yep. Like, you know, 5e, you can ambiguously. Or if you, know, you did Borrow Maze with a BX, with BX or Labyrinth Lord or whatever, you know. Right. You could get away without having to have a complete grid. True. And markers and so forth. You said, this is where you're at. You could even use markers and say, you're all in the room. Right. You figure it out. Yeah. So part of me, I mean, it does kind of, the dynamic lighting of Roll20, to get on a side tangent, is pretty interesting because literally, like, you have a torch, you don't have a torch, you have infravision. Like, mm-hmm. That's all. It's you cool. can see that. Yeah. It's displayed appropriately. Anyways, I don't know. I'd have to check out Temple of the Return of Temple Elemental Evil. It does somewhat appeal to me in checking it out, but not the old one to some degree, but I don't know if I would sit down and run that sucker. I don't know. Yeah, I could I could totally see it. Yeah, like I say, I mean it was <clears throat> I look at it when I want to steal stuff from it most often. Um when I'm running something, I'll, I'll parse through, oh yeah, I want a piece of this or I want to use Hamlet or whatever. Um but every once in a while, when I think, oh, I should run a big for first edition game, that one tends to creep back in my hands. Like, I wonder if I should do this again. Will I ever do it again from soup to nuts? I don't know. But I always had I had fun when I ran it twice. Um, I had fun. I played in it twice. Um, I've always had a good time with it. And even though we were using the 1E rules, and I played it in high school, I played it as an adult out of college, as you know, full-grown, grown-up with marriage and a whole bit. I played it there, ran it that way. I had a really good time with it. Um, so I think if you do play it now, be get into the 1E aesthetic, that whole old-school approach, and you'll appreciate it a lot better. If you approach it with a, dare I say, more modern sensibility or a different thought to it, and you're like, well, it should have this. Or, oh, this is broken. Oh, I wish it had. Yeah, don't do that. You're not going to enjoy it at all. If you're going to get into it, sign up. You know, it says on the outside of the box, what's on the inside of the box, <laughs> kids. So be prepared and I think you can have a good time. If you have similar thoughts on what we've discussed, whether it be Temple of Elemental Evil or something else, maybe one rings true for you. Maybe it's more on Brett's side or my side. Let us know. It doesn't have to be about this. If you've, if you've participated in, in the Temple of Elemental Evil um, or have thoughts upon that, let us know. Uh, let us know. So I just thought this would be kind of an interesting adventure to start the con- start a conversation about old school adventures, written ones, big mega dungeons. You know, kind of yeah. some of the the first big ones. And I figured we'd run around a little bit as we tend to do, Sean. But I figured, what the hell? It's a good place to start. Yeah, and if we do them down the road, and if you want to hear us and discuss specific pieces of it. Um, let us know. I am going to have a couple that'll probably come to fruition and we'll, we'll revise things a little better or differently, I guess, not necessarily better, but. Well, it's a first crack at taking a look at a particular adventure and tearing it, uh, not tearing it apart, but the, the concepts and the ideas around it. Yeah. For, it was just very high level. I'll admit that. And we could go deeper into different bits and pieces of it, perhaps another time, but I've thought we at least get through this first part of the conversation. So. Well, we it's, a, it's a beast. I mean, it is a pretty oh, it big is. one yeah, <laughs> compared big to the, the other ones, the old ones. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you down with D&D, it takes them how long to get through an adventure? A number of sessions. Yeah. I don't know about their actual play, but. Well, I'm, no, I'm just oh, saying when, just when, they, when they sit yeah. down and go through, yeah. 
like um, Out of the Abyss. I remember listening to them when they were going through, which, when Sean and Chris were going through Out of the Abyss. It took a number of episodes oh, yeah, to get piece. through the different pieces of it. And this thing is equally dense. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, all right. Let's get the door roll. Die roll. All right, so we have uh, 2019 Any Award winners. Congratulations to everybody that award. That won. And, you know, frankly, if you didn't win and you were nominated, hey. That's I think you're a winner. Uh, who won? Who won podcast? Oh, Ken and Robin talk about stuff. Ken and Robin, yeah. Talk about anything that's not role playing, but still role playing podcast. What the I, fuck? I think literally the year they didn't win was the year they weren't nominated. I'm pretty. I don't know. I'm pretty sure, which is pretty crazy. They just must have a fan following like no other. Uh, yeah, it's got to be it. I mean, any are shit. yeah. <clears throat> it's got to be. It's crazy. I don't. I, I like Ken and Robin. I like what they do. I have no problem with it. But I'm like, guys, really? Really? Yeah. Anyway. Um, 2019 Deanna Jones Award uh, winner, Starcrossed by Alex Roberts. So congratulations to Alex. Absolutely. Um, so if you would like to actually buy the Temple of Elemental Evil first edition or return to the Temple of Elemental Evil. We have links to drive through RPG. You can get them on PDF. Mm -hmm. um, I imagine you get them at Noble Knight as well, but if you click on those links and buy it through uh, those, they're affiliate links. We get a little something something, so uh, you want to check it out by all means. Uh, then the next one, Fiasco second edition Kickstarter wraps up September 4th. It's fully funded. I think it's like they were asking for fifteen thousand. It's funded like at fifty grand. If you're not familiar with Fiasco, check out the Kickstarter. Um, the first one I think was a relatively big success. It's a little different uh, type of role playing game. It mimics a Coen Brothers film very well and has different play sets. The play sets allow you to play in different times and genre and everything. But the overall, hey, it's all cool, and then shit hits the fan. So check that out. Um, Randy Farmer's website. We have a link to that one, oldschooldm.com. Check that out for all of Randy's crafty paper terrain. Um, some crazy amount of stuff that he does. And then John uh, mentioned in the random encounter uh, some resources uh, on YouTube that uh, DM's craft with DM Scotty and then the Black Magic craft. Um, so if you want some more additional information on how to create your own train, I think most of that's probably paper like you referred to as such, but yeah, so that's it. I think, um, what are we talking about next week, Brett? We're going to bring up one, Sean, that you've wanted to talk about for a while, um, art and RPGs, the impact of different art artists and so forth within RPG space. And um, I would be remiss if I don't bring up um, next episode a certain movie that's available around this topic. So I'll bring it up next time. Is there a movie out that's out? There mm. was there was one that was done, wasn't it? Beholder. Oh, I don't know if I've seen yeah. it. Yeah. I'll have to it. check that out. And then there's, of course, the the new big, huge Art Narcana. You have that, don't you, Brett? No, I do not. You don't have it? No, I don't. Oh, man. I wanted to, but I just, it's one of those things like, yeah, I need to buy that. And then I just haven't done it yet. Oh, it's going it to happen. It is really something. It really is. 
Um, so we'll go through. So I'm thinking, Brent, maybe like we pick obviously the artists, maybe who our favorite is. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that, uh, why their styles, maybe how things have changed from the old days to the newer days. I don't know. It's a, it's a big chunk. Like, I don't know. It's cool. It's good stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, anything else from you, Brett, man? I think, um, we did the best we could with what we had, so hopefully people won't be too mad. <laughs> That's good enough. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. Uh, as always, I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Graham Miner, Corey Wynn, Hawk Sparrow, Larry Howe, Mark DeSaka, Pure Mongrel, Chris Steele, Ron Bishop, Thomas Hook, Wayne Humphrey, Craig... Brandon Barnes, Laramie Wall, Dan LaValle, Jason Hobbs, Sky, Roger Brasset, John Hammersley, Old School DM, Perry Besor, Michael Dinos, Jim Fitzpatrick, Christopher Gray, Bruce Cunnington, John Kayward, Corey Gonzalez, Eileen Barnes, Robert Nemeth, Niall Dam- Diamond, Angus, Howard Bishop, Stephen Dragonspawn, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Salzwedo, Trevor Davis, The Closet Gamer, Jeff Goat, Aaron Coleman, Ray Otis, C.W. Mellencamp, Craig Huber, Rich Wishon, Old Schools are role-playing, Jared Rasher, Andy Hall, Mithron of the Velvet Shade, Chad Gleyman, Finolf, Marco Froelich, Lord Tentacle, Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, Josh Wallace, Kevin Lovecraft, Andy Olson, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, and Jeff Seifert. Thanks, everybody. For ways to support the show, head over to gamingandbs.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers! This has been a Litterbox Studio production. Hey, so we did not address the forums. So in the last episode, we talked about Misdirected Mark putting out their own online forums to, for their community. And they're making them public, so anybody can use them, actually. Um, whether you listen to them or not, there may be some good interaction there. So we certainly encourage you to check them out. We contemplated maybe it's something we should do for you. Um, we did put a poll up on Twitter and Facebook. If you haven't looked at those, they'll probably remain up there for a little while. But nonetheless, we're not going to make a decision either way right now. Um, it hasn't been definitive, yes or no. Um, it's kind of been a mixed bag, which is not a big surprise um, for a variety of different reasons. So for right now, they're on hold. Um, and when we do look at things like that, we'll certainly, you know, determine whether it's mobile friendly and if it makes sense. And we'll probably want to pay for something similar to that or something like that, because, you know, if we pay for it, there'll be a level of quality um, that we would actually prefer you know we want to be conscious of spam we also want to be active ourselves and have it moderated um, to ensure it doesn't turn into a complete shit storm on online so we are conscious of those things but for now there isn't any real answer so the answer for me would be it still depends have a good night or day wherever you are and thanks for listening <laughs>